So, Brayden, it's uh, your turn. And all bias aside, uh, my son is is a brilliant young man who just graduated from college last spring. Congratulations. Um, uh, you know, he's brilliant and funny. And um, I think that he, I am delighted that he's partnering with me in this endeavor. Um, I hope, I, I do hope, even though he's been, you know, of fantastic help to me. I hope that some very, very um, enterprising or smart agency, whether in the government or private sector, snaps him up and puts him to work because they would be uh, lucky to have him. So just a little plug for my son's uh, employment. <laughs> to to anyone there, listening out gentlemen. there. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so Braden, your turn. All right. Well, um, I appreciate the uh, the congrats, the accolades, the floor, and uh, I just want to thank our hosts for for having us on today. And uh, I suppose I'll uh, I'll begin by talking a little bit about how I came to to develop uh, my participation in in, um, in in these in these um, projects. Yes, please. And so when I graduated from from college, I came back uh, to, to this area right here around DC and I joined the dragon boating team along with uh, mom and my stepdad. And as mom talked about, it was there that we, you know, we all realized that our CPR certifications had expired. Uh, you already know the story there. We renewed them. Uh, we developed a, a relationship with, with accessibility incorporated. And then we went about developing our, instructor courses so that we could uh, so that we could get certified as instructors as well. One thing that I think it's important to note is that you know once we had become instructors we were then in a position to advise our our fellow instructors including the ones who had di- directly taught us as to how to teach other blind people. In fact, we had a community class that wasn't a certification experience, but it was an introductory experience so that people could get a sense for the materials, uh, what to do, what the proper positioning was for chest compressions, uh, how, how to use stuff like the, the face shields and, and get the actual hands-on experience of practicing with the mannequins. And, you know, people, people did seem very happy with, with the experience, uh, you know, as they were going through it and in, in its aftermath. And at the same time, you know, upon debriefing it, mom and I realized that that we still had plenty of work to do as far as communication planning for 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 future classes with with our uh, with our fellow instructors. You know, really trying to drive home some of those some of those lessons about fully integrating non visual pedagogy in, into how we we get things across, and and of course the same principles apply regardless of what disability community you are uh, interfacing with. And it's just a question of recognizing what those accessibility needs are, creating an environment in which it's possible for those people to fully participate in, in articulating what their own needs are, because that's what we expect when we're the ones on the other side of the table. And that's what we try to provide to our own community. Mm-hmm. To get more to the actual points that uh, my mom suggested I talk about, there is significant work to be done on the side of the Red Cross and other, you know, training and product providers. And a lot of that does have to do with uh, the website, the, the Red Cross Learning Center. And so one of the things that is an ongoing project for me is that I'm working with a web accessibility specialist, simultaneously developing my own competency with this stuff. Mm-hmm. From you know the coding aspects to how to systematically break down and, and articulate in a way that is useful for both lay people and web developers as to you know what are the problems, what why are the problems, what they are, and how can they you know most efficiently and cost effectively be uh, resolved. And so that's that's something that is an ongoing project. There's also the need to deal with the bureaucracy of the Red Cross. The blindness community is unfortunately a community that oftentimes has very little in the way of, you know, direct disposable income to be able to to pay for some of these things. And we have certain restrictions imposed by Red Cross. We can't charge under a certain amount for for mm-hmm. to take to take our courses. And so, you know, another another piece to this has been has been fundraising. Something else to work on is working with the head of another nonprofit that that I am involved with the uh, the pieces of me foundation to ultimately have closed door meetings to consult with uh, people at Red Cross so that they can ask questions that they would uh, and most people to be fair to them 
uh, will be uncomfortable asking about blindness and how it how it relates to how we deal with emergency response and how we can be just as useful as the next person in an emergency response scenario and how we can prepare to 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 be that useful from the products to the web services to the to the training. And so those are just some of the of the angles that that I am taking and you know trying trying to develop in, in such a way as, as to move our initiative forward. Fantastic. So what uh what is your your college degree in out of curiosity? Uh, so my college degree is actually in uh the history of science. Oh okay. Very cool. Well, I uh, more power to you for for jumping into this uh, web accessibility and and coding, and um, I've I've tried to delve into that a little bit. I get lost quickly, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's easy, you know, there's there's a lot um, there's a lot to learn about it. Fortunately, yeah. there 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 are a lot of very very straightforward resources out there that are that are geared toward you know helping people to to internalize the material, no matter really what your what your starting point is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even more than that, if you look for people who are already in, involved at, in various sort of, you know, on, on various nodes of the relevant networks, you know, you can, you can really got, get a lot of helpful, you know, advice and guidance and support. Um, and, and, and that really makes the whole thing seem in, in many ways a lot less, a lot less daunting and a lot more encouraging. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. You know, um, I do want to I do want to point out something that happened this week that really floored me um, and very much disappointed me. Two of my CERT teammates reached out to me and said, "Hey, did you know that FEMA is holding a WebEx meeting? Uh, not a WebEx, uh, Adobe Connect meeting on blind, uh, deaf blind, and deaf individuals, um, and they're having a specific workshop." you know, on those individuals and, and disaster preparedness and emergency. So I was like, fantastic. That's great. So I sign up for it and everything. And I could not get onto this website for anything. <laughs> Adobe I Connect tried, is I try, I hate Adobe Connect and I've told FEMA before, and I've told other organizations, Adobe Connect is not a good platform. If you want accessibility, mm-hmm. you know, it can work. But it's not ideal. And so I tried everything. I tried dialing in. I tried my work computer. I tried my home computer. I tried my iPhone. Right. I tried different browsers. Some of them got me further than others, mm-hmm. but nothing got me into the room. The furthest I got was seeing people's comments saying, I have no sound. I have, you know, whatever. Um, and I wrote to them. There was no quick contact to write to them. Um, every time you went on help, it just brought you to Adobe Connect, not right. to FEMA. So I wrote to them. I, I have yet to receive a response. Two of my CERT teammates said, we're here. We'll, we'll send you. They, they did record it. So I can listen to it subsequent you know, to, to the meeting. Right. Um, I'm going to see if I could get the slides. The point is, you had this workshop on you know, blind, deaf, blind, and deaf individuals. And I couldn't get in. Right. And you didn't have the means by which I could reach out to someone and get myself in. That's mm-hmm. a problem, especially yeah. because their their website in general is fantastic. Yeah. Another yeah. thing is I was told that FEMA has a Braille, some Braille publications available on emergency and disaster preparedness, that there are publication um, numbers and everything. And there was a, an address to whom you could write and request these things. So I wrote to them, I have yet to receive a response. And, and this is what I mean. You could have fantastic, wonderful, largely, mostly accessible, 90% accessible websites and still have accessibility issues because this is, people can't think of this as one and done. Oh, our website is accessible. There's nothing more we need to do. Right. right. There needs to be continued communication. There needs to be monitoring to ensure that everything that's that's done doesn't, you know, what if there's a, you know, when I have an update on, on my iOS device, when I have an update on my Windows device, it might change the interactions exactly. between the user interface between the, the website and the and the device or the software or whatever. So there needs to be somebody who is monitoring or a group that is monitoring these things to ensure that it's good. Um, one of the things that Braden and I 
are we're, we're going to have a meeting with Andy Burstein of Accessible Pharmacy Services later this week. One of the things we want to talk to Andy about um, is trying to get manufacturers of first aid and other products, uh, such as hemostatic bandages, gauze, pocket, pocket uh, masks, mm-hmm. face shields, wipes that you use to, you know, disinfect an area, different, different size bandages. We want to get those things like go bags or so you could put together a first aid kit. We want to get that stuff so that either you, you maybe have a QR code or maybe you go to a site or you call phone a number so that you can learn how do I use this properly to get the instructions that are easily available to a sighted person when they grab something, you know, from, from a first aid uh, kit so that you know what the package feels like, you know what's inside it, and you know how to use it should a an incident arise where you need to do so. That AED manufacturers. Um, so that let's say I go to my building, I live in a high rise building. So let's say I go to my building's office and I say, Hey, I am certified in the use of an AED for purposes of if, you know, something should occur, what model AED do you have? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you tell it, make sure it's up to date, make sure the batteries are there, make sure, you, you know, make sure it's fine, but find out what the model is so that I can then go to a website, look up that model and know. What's the configuration of that AED? When I turn it on, what what button is the power button? Um, some of them do have different shapes of, of power buttons. The circle might be the shock button. You know, there might be a switch on the side that turns it from um, adult to pediatric. Right. Um, you know, does it come equipped with both pediatric and adult pads or just adults? So, you know, to so that I can be prepared knowing what my building has so that if and an event arises and somebody brings me that AED machine or I go and grab it, I know what to expect when I open that AED and I can therefore save precious seconds uh, in assisting somebody who's in cardiac arrest. So, you know, these are the types of things that we want provided so that we can step up in the same matter, in the same speed and with the same knowledge that others do when they are faced with an emergency. Blind parents, teaching blind parents, what do you do if your infant is choking? Mm -hmm. What do you do if your toddler is choking? What happens if your toddler falls and you're waiting for first responders or you're rushing to the doctor's office or the hospital? What can you do to ensure that your child or your your relative, uh, your aunt, your uncle, your parent, your grandparent um, has the best chance of receiving excellent care after you have properly administered first aid to them because you had access to properly labeled products and good training mm-hmm. uh, that took into account your disability. So, you know, th- those are the things that that we're working on and that we're really trying to. One of the things that Martin and Accessibility Incorporated wanted to work with us on is starting this month, we wanted to start having classes for people with disabilities, starting with blind people, about 10 per month. Um, where we would be able to provide, because we received funding, low-cost or no-cost CPR certification classes. We are running behind already because we have not been able to get people interested in providing sponsorship of that for us. And we have not been reached out to by groups or organizations that would provide um, assistance for this. I want to give a shout out to the Winchester host Lions for um, giving a thousand dollars to our community class back in October at the NFBV, that's National Federation of Blind of Virginia State Convention at Tyson's Corner. It was a fantastic class and it would not have been possible without the Lions contributing to that effort. So we need, because I don't want to ask blind people to pay $80 or $100 to be certified in something that I frankly think everyone should have access to if they want it. Right. Um, the help to the community that this sort of knowledge could bring. Um, I, this is something that state municipal county and the federal government should be putting money into. There should be an ability to reach out and get funding for anyone, whether, you know, a child who, who feels up to, up to it, to a disabled person, to an elderly person, you know, to anyone 
to receive this type of training and to be involved in emergency response and disaster preparedness. The, this would have been, you know, a fantastic thing for people to learn to stay calmer, to to view things from a, a certain type of perspective with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. People may have been able to be calmer with with the perspective and the training that is given when you're alone or when you're alone with others and your your town is a ghost town. When your hospital is filled over capacity, you you're terrified of what might happen at home. There are people who are terrified to go to the hospital right. when they became injured, even when they had what they thought was a stroke because of what was going on in the pandemic. And actually, I want to Again, I want to give another shout out. Arlington, the Arlington uh, Department of Health recently did something called Stroke Smart. And they had a video that they were putting out. And I went and took that. And I offered to teach the to teach the class when it became necessary, when they needed someone. And one of the things I discovered was that there, again, there was something going on in a video which was not audio described. Um, and some of the things that they described were visual in nature. And there needed to be some better description of how to determine a stroke uh, for for blind and, and low vision people. So I reached out to the woman, Margaret Prost, who did the video. Uh, there was an email address right on the video. And I, I reached out to her and I said, listen, I'm blind. And there are aspects of this video which were not accessible to me. And I would like to be able to give, to offer this training to blind people. She responded immediately and she started doing a different prototype of the video and she sent me a prototype of that video and it's fantastic. Um, And the only issue with it was that the initial video had um, stuff going on while the instructor is talking, they actually are playing a video and you're getting both the instructor talking in her description and the video at the same time. And it's Mm. really jarring. And I I would imagine for most people, even myself and people who are neurodivergent, it would be really off-putting to have to listen to that at the same time. Yeah, so that's re- distracting. Yeah. So she is working on seeing what she can do about that. Um, and, you know, she said she'd reach out again. But the point is, is that the Arlington Department of Health was so quick in responding. We set up a Zoom meeting. We talked about it. I gave her uh, tips on what could be done. And they immediately started working on it. It wasn't, oh, thank you for letting us know. We'll get back to you. We're working on it. We're, it was an immediate response. And that's the sort of thing when you're talking about emergency response and disaster preparedness, we shouldn't be waiting for something to happen to find out, wow, this really wasn't accessible. Or we really, like, for example, getting COVID tests, uh, finding out where the test sites were. When COVID, when they were doing these maps and these sites where you could go and see how, how much COVID was in your area, right? What about your, how, how impacted were your hospitals? When you clicked on that, at least in Virginia, it was all visual. It was all icons. It was all a map. It was Mm. photographs. Um, and voiceover couldn't do anything with them. A map showing, you know, blah, 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 you know, right useless information. Um, these are the types of things that should be considered before rollout, not after the fact. It should be proactive, not reactive. And that's what Braden and I are trying to do. We're trying to get people to be proactive, to change things while we can, not so that when somebody needs the information, they suddenly discover this is not accessible and I'm stuck. Right. Yeah. I mean, and as long as we're um, as long as we're doing shout outs, um, <laughs> I think that uh, there there's some useful context both for the last points that have been made by uh, by the both of us. You mentioned that we're we're having a meeting with Andy representing accessible pharmacy services, uh, for example, later on this week, and uh, it's it's worth I think uh, breaking down how that uh, how that happened. It wasn't that it wasn't that we reached out to them because we were aware of the types of services they they provide and and we saw an immediate uh, intersection. It was because they actually held uh, something called uh, Blind Health Expo, mm-hmm. uh, and that. fortunately we were uh, we were among many 118, in fact, uh, exhibitors, and 
not only were we able to put together a, a document that that uh, last I checked is still uh, accessible on on their website, but we were also able to to build connections not only with them, but with other people who, whose insights are, are really valuable when it comes to you know incorporating these narratives and how we deal with uh, disasters and, and emergencies at you know every, every level, whether it be us as individuals, whether it be at the community level, or even or even at, at larger scales than that. You know, for example, you take you take uh, someone like Gene Parker, who, who has done really uh, fascinating comparative research on on this sort of stuff, and who will actually be speaking next month at, at the Potomac chapter meeting. And so it you know, and so accessible pharmacy services provided a really uh, vital platform. For, for people to to meet and and cross pollinate a lot of these projects and ideas. Something else I, I would want to talk more about is it was it was actually through a very a, a very similar dynamic of, of serendipity that I was able to to reach out and make contact with, with the people I'm I'm working with both at the profit level at the, at, at the web accessibility level. It was actually because of my burgeoning interest in um, greater interest in access technology because I was uh, was attending talks and in particular having to do with this company Clusive, which is a which is a tech startup and it has predominantly blind uh, coders and software engineers and and they offer all sorts of courses for blind people whether it's accessibility, cybersecurity, you know whatever whatever it happens to be and. I was able to to bring up to some of the people at the meeting what we were working with, in particular with Red Cross and the people there were interested. One of them in particular, Bruce Sexton, put me in touch with um, Angela Fowler, who, who is the web accessibility specialist, and Dan Hodges, who runs the Pieces of Me Foundation, which is a nonprofit that um, will be will be trying to, to interface with Red Cross to have some of those uh, behind closed doors conversations, and, and we have other other uh, initiatives, you know, on the fire besides. And so, you know, I think I think there there are a lot of things that come together when when you actually sort of sit down and think about how much has happened, even though a lot of the a lot of the actual results are very sort of slow to develop. And unfortunately, we have like these these kind of mammoth bureaucracies that we have to sort of deal with when it comes to organizations as big as Red Cross. At the same time, you know, I think I think we're building very, uh, you know, very sort of very robust and promising networks with with some people who have who have really who have really promising backgrounds when it when it comes to what what they can what they can bring to the table what we're trying to get done awesome so i really appreciate everything that y'all brought up um i i don't even have any questions y'all have been so thorough in what you do and um i'm i'm super enthusiastic about this this is something that i can't wait to see um move further and um hopefully spread across the country uh would be amazing. Megan or George, do y'all have any questions? Uh, nothing kind of like you. Just like a lot of information going on there. Um, Christine, I'm going to have to reach out to you because I was interested in the um, emergency uh, management because recently I was asked, uh, I'm re- background me, I'm retired military. So I'm decided, I'm decided person on the, on the group. I'm the, uh, I guess we call it the uh, token. Um, <laughs> so, so I do a lot of research when it comes to self-defense and personal safety, but I've been thinking about um, getting involved more with emergency medical, emergency, emergency uh, management, particularly because I've been asked to um, possibly do some training for active shooter for an event we have here in Savannah, Georgia. And so I've been doing like online courses like yourself, but it's interesting to hear about how they're not as accessible as you would think they would be uh, for the Red Cross as well as uh, some from FEMA. Um, so something that I think that we need to talk about and try to see how we can resolve that. Because I know I just looked up while, we were, while you were speaking that the American Red Cross headquarters is right there in D.C. Yep. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, probably did some might get. I'm, I'm a firm believer everyone has a boss. So <laughs> it's straight exactly. to the top. It's straight to the top. And I looked at their site. They said that they try to monitor uh, make sure the site's accessible. And they thought it was kind of funny after what you had said. Like, they don't do a very good job monitoring. No, they're not. So uh, an organization that, you know, to, to monitor that might be a, a good idea um, of individuals with the capability and training and background to reach out to these organizations and actually kind of, um, you know, QR, uh, quality, do quality control, just say QC on, on their sites and say, hey, this is your problem. This is how you can fix it. I think that might mm-hmm. be something that could help out as well. Uh, I really do appreciate all your information. You know, you're a New Yorker, aren't you? 
I am a transplanted New Yorker. I was uh, born in Brooklyn, moved to Long Island when I was a child, and then uh, moved here in 2019. Yeah, I heard the accent. Now I'm in Falls Church, Virginia. Yeah, I heard the accent. I'm a New Yorker as well. Oh, are you? Okay. From from where? uh, The Bronx. Oh, so, hey. Want to okay. raise in the Bronx, but also uh, you're you. probably a Yankees fan then. Have to be. We're Mets fans. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I have to be a Yankees fan because uh, I'm from the Bronx and also where I ran track in high school. Now is where the New Yankee Stadium sits, right on top of that track. Oh, wow. How so, about that? Where do you live now? Yeah, so my high school is like just like literally two blocks away from Yankee Stadium. So, yeah, oh, definitely. Wow. And I actually lived in your neck of the woods. I used to live in Arlington uh, before I retired and came back down here to Savannah. Oh, you're in you're in Georgia now. Okay, right, correct. Yes, yes. So I do make trips up to DC um, every once in a while because I still have things I have to do up there, friends, family, and uh, mm-hmm. other other organizations I'm part of. So, but yeah, I might have to oh, come maybe and we see. Touch base the next time you come to town. Interested in this dragon racing? Got to see. Yeah, yeah, the dragon ro- boat racing sounds. <laughs> boat boat I got to really see what cool. that is oh, about. It's, yeah, it's so it's, it's awesome. There it's may great be dragon fun. boating in in Savannah. I mean, you know. I mean, the maybe I've not heard about yeah. that, so something that I'll look into. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely gonna be reaching out to you about more about um, your involvement with uh, immersion uh, management because I'm trying Excellent. to get more, get myself more involved in that as well as I I, I do things you know for personal safety, uh, particularly uh, especially in this community and being in the South, things are not as progressive as other places. Right, and it'd be, be great to you know uh, facilitate some conversation. Uh, maybe it's something started where we can assist, you know, um, those with limitations uh, and other disabilities here in, here in this community. Because we do have a, a blind community and a deaf community here in Savannah, but you don't really hear much about them. Right. Um, except for maybe once a year when they do the uh, dining in the dark that they do every oh, year. Oh, Lord. I thought you were going to say White Cane Day. I- no, see, <laughs> I don't I, even get started. I dining. like White Cane Day because I, I, I told a story before. The first time I heard about White, White Cane Day, I was back home visiting in the Bronx. It was on the news. And they said, White Cane, I'm like, cocaine? What's, what's this? What's White Cane? <laughs> like, cocaine Day, yes. There's a day for this? Yeah, and you talked about it on TV? Uh, but I wasn't, I, I cool. think I was uh, semi aware of the School for the Blind uh, in the Bronx. I think I've driven by and probably seen a sign. Uh, I think that's what the name is. I remember driving by a few times as a kid. Uh, and I think I've seen the name. There's a kind of like, there's a school for that. Uh, you know, when you, when you don't know, you don't know, especially if you're not blind yourself. So as I've been more involved with the blind community, I've, I've been more aware of, of things for the blind and being more aware of the inequities that are there for those with disabilities more so. But yeah, I'm always trying to see what I, what I can do to help ally uh, some of the situations as I come across them, as I, or as, as I hear about them, but I can't, well, I can't do it alone. One thing right. you'll notice is that uh, cocaine day is what you need after dining uh, in the dark. Is it? Okay. All right. <laughs> well, Megan, can, Megan, you can talk about that since, that's what, you know, since you work at a dining in a dark place. Uh, I don't anymore. Oh, We're not okay. going to open that can of worms. Okay, yeah, okay. That was a rough experience. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard stories. Um, Yeah. I, I have, I have considered getting involved, trying to get involved in emergency services um, here in South Mississippi, but only only really to the extent that, you know, of, of being a ham radio operator and and trying to get involved that way. Are you really? Yeah, I actually became a ham radio operator because I was told it might be a, a means by which I could become more involved in emergency response mm-hmm. because of the communications factor. Um, and I did become a, a technician. You know, I have a couple of handhelds that don't really, that aren't great. And I can't really imagine they're not particularly accessible. Um, but I do have a, um, a Kenwood here um, mobile unit. And I do check in on the races each week, our Arlington races team. What they want to do is they want to uh, have me practice on the GM, GMRS radio, GRMS radios okay. that, um, that uh, we have. Mm-hmm. at our disposal for if there is a deployment um, so that I can get um, practice on working on that. So I'm actually going to be working with one of my CERT teammates on learning that radio. Um, and I don't have that license. Um, so I, I guess I'm going to have to work on that. Um, right. they, apparently, it's just used very specifically for the purpose of us uh, working together in the instance of a deployment. And I, I'm still looking for 
resources on that particular license. It was easy to find the ones for, you know, a ham, but I'm having more difficulty finding access, accessible resources for the GMRS. So if, um, if you have any ideas for where to get that, um, I don't. Is, is there a amateur radio um, group in your in Arlington? Yeah, there is. Okay, there is. So maybe and, I'll just reach out to them. Yeah, uh, Leslie, do you are you a ham as well? My license is expired, and I haven't renewed it yet. See, I didn't but know I, that. Because I have been. Yeah, I've been wanting to do that for years, and so I've been in contact with our local ham radio community here in Savannah. They do have one, and I'm just I'm just a punk. I'm just like ah, I'm scared to take the test. <laughs> I, I have I have the study guide that has all the the answers to well, the yeah, question, the but you pool. have it's a question pool, so you're yeah. going to get like 150 questions taken from that pool. But right. you know it's it's doable. You have the updated one because they recently not. updated it. Yeah, no, uh, mine's yeah. mine's a few years old. So uh, well, the updated one. That's so funny because that's what I've been wanting to do for one. years. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, you don't know about hams until they tell you. It's like, <laughs> right. yeah, it's like a secret. I, I've known Leslie for like about three years now. I had no idea. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, you I know, was certified, is, but I let it lapse. The thing is, you know, when I do the check-ins, like there are people on there who have been doing this for decades mm-hmm. and they have so much knowledge, Right. you know, and, and I, and I consider myself like a lowly appliance operator, which is basically <laughs> someone, all they do is work the radio. They don't have the knowledge. They, you know, and I've never had the hands-on. Again, I'd, I'd love to learn more about, you know, how to set up an antenna, about, you know, more of the the ways that you can rig things and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, you need to spend time with somebody and get your hands-on equipment in order to learn that stuff. And I just don't have the time. Right. <laughs> I hear you. too much to do. Our, our ham radio club meets, like, way across town. And so I have just not really... I'm like, gosh, I, do I really want to spend that much money to go to a meeting every month? Right. <laughs> to Uber yeah. over That's there. The, thing, too, the so, hobby itself is quite expensive. It is an expensive hobby. Absolutely. And but dragon you know, boating is expensive, too. <laughs> but at a certain point, I need <laughs> to make a decision. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've, I've learned some things as I'm looking researching up that uh, I, I live in an HOA. And I actually can put an antenna up if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And they can't legally say anything about it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that's awesome. You know, I can just have all mess everyone's cable up and everything, you know, just, <laughs> ah, you know, if I wanted to. But I would, <laughs> but I would do it for emergencies. Here at one of our local hospitals, I used to work there doing security. And my friends did. He actually has a uh, advanced certification degree in um, emergency um, management through FEMA. He's actually mm-hmm. gone through the uh, GEMA, I guess what they call it, uh, here in Georgia. But they actually have ham radio operators that they use when we have our hurricanes. Right. Right. You know, and that's one reason it made me think about that too. Like that'd be a great asset to be a part of. Exactly. That, you know, we have that going on. But I never thought about the accessibility component of it. There's a lot of radios out there that I'm sure can, you know, that are accessible. Uh, but again, expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, and then having the training to do that, willing to you know, be able to. So when I reached out to Kenwood, Kenwood seems to be the best company as far as because they have this voice chip. But now there's discussion that they're they're going to get rid of the V chip. And, you know, so people have been reaching out. When I reached out to Kenwood last year, they told me, well, we have some new radios coming out at the end of 2022, beginning of 2023. And I've been monitoring and I haven't seen anything you know, coming out, because um, I told them specifically, I want a completely accessible radio that I don't have that I don't want guesswork. I want right. to set it up and use it and be able that it, I want it to speak everything. Um, you know, and, and that's what I'm looking for. So I'm hoping that there'll be a Kenwood handheld um, that I can be confident about um, if I need to something portable, because the, the setup I have here is not portable. Right. You know, it's it's in my home. It's set up. I can certainly use it if need be, but it's not portable. And I need something that I, I can, if I need to go out in the field, if I need to help somebody, if I need to report back to a command um, center while I'm out with a deployment of CERT people, I need something that I can carry with me without having to take a, a huge backpack and something that I can easily swap out a battery if, you know, it starts losing power. And something that is going to talk to me so that I can very easily manipulate whatever we need to do in, in that situation. That's what's needed. And the, there's a, there are a lot of blind 
and visually impaired people in the ham community. So mm-hmm. it is and from my understanding. To me, yeah, my understanding is that that none of the radios. I know there were some radios out of Europe or England that were more accessible, but my understanding is none of them are completely accessible. Nope. They're all partial. No, and some of the more accessible ones are kind of cheap. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to badmouth any companies, right? But you know that there, there are there are companies that that yeah they speak, but you know you you can't really rely on them. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as some of these others. So, and Kenwood is a fantastic company it and is. it has done forever. the accessibility thing before it, and they should be aware that this is a need because there is a significant blind and visually impaired community in, in the ham world. Um, and, and that needs to be, you know, the customers need to be respected and the fact that we've taken the time, you know, to, to do this and to become part of this community should be respected. Are you part of the ham radio division for yes. NFB? Okay. Yes. Chris, I think what it is is that I'm a firm believer closed mouths don't get fed. And no, it's you, true. <laughs> if you know you know there's a community available with the community not speaking out for themselves and advocating to a particular groups, the groups sometimes have really no idea. Maybe someone does, but those who are make things happen are not aware of it. And right. so just to be so that information has has to be targeted. You say, okay, right. Kenwood. We have a petition of like 200 hams that are visually impaired or blind. Mm-hmm. They've already petitioned and we're saying, this is what we need from you. They may be prone to listen at that point because then other than those 200, there may be 2,000, you know, that they're not aware of. So right. it ha- has to be targeted, you know, you know, organized and targeted. I think of, um, you know, the um, civil rights movement. Everything they did was targeted. Right. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't show up. Hey, let's protest today. No. Protests in their form, it, it had to be targeted to what what part of the agenda they were trying to meet at that time. So the same thing for any group, you have to target uh, directly uh, to that entity to make them aware of what your needs are and the benefits of providing those needs to you. Right, and it can't be piecemeal. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these organizations and and rights organ um, rights uh, organizations and stuff like that, and these efforts rely on things like petitions and individual emails that are sent from a central site. And that's useful to an extent. I mean, if you've got 75,000 people, you know, signing a petition and basically saying, yeah, I agree with this or just signing their name, that has to make at least a ripple. You know, a lot of people are upset about this. A lot of people want this change, but whatever. But when people take the time to send their own personal message, to write their own personal message and that is coming from a, a pretty large group. That is that is extremely powerful. And it's, it's actually kind of surprising to me that the ham radio division and others haven't done this with the ARRL website. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there have been piecemeal stuff to them I, that aren't reaching out to, to places like FEMA, like the Red Cross, like, you know, other places and saying, Kenwood, you know, and saying, hey, we're out here. You know, we're out here. We've purchased your products before. You're aware that people are interested in the voice chip that makes your radios accessible. What are you doing with respect to, this is supposed to be a more accessible time Mm -hmm. with websites, with technology, with devices. This should be it with all these smart devices, for example, too. Even like, you know, yeah, no, you can't really have a smart ham radio because you want to deal with a radio that can operate if Wi-Fi isn't available, right. if Bluetooth isn't available, you want something that's going to operate regardless. Um, but you also want to be able to, to, for any blind person who needs it and finds the radio, to be able to turn it on and say, okay, what do I do to alert people to my location? What do I do to send a message you know, to people who are out there? How can I find others who might be listening um, and get their attention? So. That's something that people should be able to turn on a darn radio and do. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. I think Christy, it's like um, it's like a, a male saying, "Hey, I'm all in support of women's issues and want to help help out," but have, doesn't have the first doesn't have the first knowledge about how to help out. Right. You know. So I think it's the same same concept that you have to have people who are directly affected by it. Tell you what to do. Tell you what to do. So people forget right. that they they forget to go to the source. Yeah, I have an idea. Let's do this. But have you talked to anybody that's blind before? Uh, right. Yeah, my grandmother was. I mean, they okay. You know, that's not helping out. 
Right. So t- talking to people, having sensing sessions, organizing. So it has to be intense, intentional on their part as well. But again, if the voices don't ring out what their concerns are, get someone's attention and, you know, kind of uh, make them look at what has to be done and hold them to the fire and you right. know, make the change. It's not going to happen. So if you do know of how to get a hold of a large amount of individuals who are blind and are ham radio operators, I would love to do help work with them and so we come out a game plan to figure out how we can make that better and maybe facilitate some other things as well. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um yeah. George, your uh your question of, of have you ever talked to blind people reminds me of that thing. Um I don't remember what it was called. Maybe somebody does, but it was a cup that was made specifically for blind people. Uh <laughs> based on the premise that we're more likely to to just you know go around spilling our drinks all the time. <laughs> No, see, I don't believe that I, the ladies know that I talk about a guy here in Savannah that the first time I seen him with his white king walking down, he was drunk as a skunk. And that's usually when I see him, he's in a bar and he is totally independent, you know, does his thing by himself and people know him. And yeah, he doesn't feel a drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, but my experience is working with the blind, I've learned a lot than I've ever known before, you know, you know a very um, awakening for me. And I love the experience and I you know, wish to help other people out as well, because you never know. I mean, you might meet someone in your family that's affected uh, that may need some help or someone, you know, you just get, who needs your assistance but are not aware of how to get it. You may know, as, especially as a sighted person, like, hey, I, I know, like, I track blind people down now. I say, hey, you know about this? You know, uh, it's like, uh, so... <laughs> Well, and I, I think, I I think Braden's point was that um, blind people don't spill drinks any more often than anyone else. Exactly. Unless drunk or clumsy or, mm-hmm. you know, we have some sort of issue, you know, and, and unless you ask blind people, there are a lot of people who, want, who are well-intentioned, you know, and this is the non-spillable cup for blind people, you know, <laughs> and they, they market it to, to a certain audience thinking, oh, we're going to be so helpful. We're going to, you know, help blind people live a better life because those poor things. You know, they're always smell, spilling their drinks or, you know, there's a constant. One of the things we get all the time is people thinking we can't handle stairs. It's oh, a yes. big thing, constantly wanting us to use the elevator all the time um, or the wheelchair stall in the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, no, that's well, a wheelchair at the airport. Well, I like that <laughs> yeah. stall. There's more room in there. I mean, yeah. I like well, it yeah. personally. I mean, if I find it, it, it's like great. But I've literally been told by someone. In the bathroom. Oh no, that stall isn't for you. The other one is at the. And I'm like, um, I just need a toilet. I'm so I, I, I can walk in any of these doors. I, you know, the the sad part of this is that I see, you know, you, you do have people that are well intentioned and oh, I'm going to make this product for blind people. But right. I get blind people, and I I see a lot of. I work with veterans at a blind rehab center, and I see a lot of veterans who come in. They've just lost their sight. Right. And and there might be the ones that are like, I need a device. I'm always spilling my drink and I need a device or a, a special mm-hmm. cup that's going to help right. me keep from doing that. I'm like, well, no, you just need to learn how to find your cup. How much right. are you drinking? What you drinking? Right. And so it's 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 that kind of lack of education where they don't know. Right. And I've yeah. I've harped on this in the past is you have a disconnect between when the eye doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. And right. getting any kind of training or resources because yes. the doctors either don't know it or don't, for whatever reason, don't want to give it. And so they don't want to tell people, you know, OK, I, there's nothing else I can do for you, but here's some resources for you right. to help you through right. the next step. And they, they it, there's just this huge disconnect. So you get a lot of people that don't know anything about training, don't know anything about products or resources out there. And um, and so, you know, sadly, some of those some of those products come from from that kind of situation. No, Brayden and I once had an experience a couple of years ago. We went out to a diner with my parents. Mm-hmm. And my husband and we sat down, we ordered dinner, we ordered what we wanted to drink and everybody received, my parents and Gary both received glasses and Brayden and I both got uh, 
covered, disposable mm-hmm. takeout cups. <laughs> I love it when my margarita comes in a sippy cup. You know, I'm just like, like <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I basically said, uh, we'd like a glass like the rest right. of the people at the right. table. You know, it was like what they yeah, we don't know how to, we don't know how to open, yeah. we don't know how to get the tops off. That's the problem. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> one of the um now one time we did in fact it was after it was after a meeting with with some representatives from red cross we did actually pay the price for taking the stairs not because of the stairs but because it also happened to be where the guy with stage four cancer was to tell us how uh how glad he was to have cancer rather than be blind oh my goodness um, yeah yeah i've gotten yeah. that before yeah, he said it's an it, yep. it's an operable nothing can be done um, and he said, but, but now I see the two of you and I feel better. So here's a man wow. who's dying. who's telling mm-hmm. us that he feels better seeing two blind people. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and what do you say in those circumstances? I was just, I'm so sorry. I, I hope the best for you. You're yeah, good luck with um, the treatment. Right. You know, like, wow. Like, I guess if it makes him feel better. You know, oh, I'm dying, but these people have to live blind for the rest of their lives. I get, listen, all right, yeah. listen, whatever well, helps you out, dude. But if we would have been more on our game, we could have said, oh, we're so jealous. But on the other hand, that <laughs> might have that might have cemented his his outlook on the subject. No, no, so I just, don't want to do that. Before I retired, I worked at Walter Reed in Bethesda. So I worked at a unit that was responsible for soldiers who were wounded or hurt or ill. They got sent to Walter Reed. So I was like a, a non-medical um, caseworker. So I dealt with uh, soldiers that were amputees, PTSD, sexual wow. assault victims, cancer survivors, cancer terminal. And so it was a very, you know, got to learn a lot uh, from that experience. And so I learned, especially for my amputees, I felt bad for what happened to them. I never felt sorry for them. Right. Because I knew what they, I, I saw what they were able to do, you know, even afterwards. And so it was just a different uh, part of their life uh, yeah, right. was changed, but it didn't. De- it didn't define who they were. Uh, it made define certain things they could do or can't couldn't do. They, if you know what you can't do, the next thing you do is find out what you can do. You right. Know? Well, it's so like I, Christopher Reeve's book. I'm. I think it's still me or something mm-hmm. like that. Basically saying I'm still here. Yeah. Right. You know, I I may not be able to do the things I used to do and live the life I used to live, but I still have a life and I still have a personhood. um, And this is still me. And don't assume that I have, you know, given up or that I don't think that there's something left for me here. Um, You know, I think that that's a great uh, way of kind of articulating the, the difference between, I guess, kind of the colloquial notion of grit and, you know, the more community oriented notion of resilience. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, there's, there's the one notion of like, you know, we're just these, these sort of like one dimensional people who either, who either float or sink. And that's the end of the, that's the end of the story. Uh, no, no matter what we're dealing with or are quote unquote afflicted by, if you want to, if you want to accept the, uh, you know, the framing, which, you know, medical I not to, right. Yeah. right. Um, but on the other hand, a more, a more kind of, I think, nuanced resilience oriented framework allows us to sort of be like, okay, um, you know, what, what are the dimensions of life that we can still avail ourselves of regard, uh, regardless of, of whatever else happens to be going on? Uh, what, what can we bring to our communities? What, you know, what do we still have of ourselves that, that we get something out of that, that others get something out of. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a much more sort of, you know, realistic and multidimensional and, and, and not always particularly optimistic, but, you know, still ultimately, you know, guides us on a much more kind of sober upward trajectory, you know, and, 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 you know, I say sober because, you know, re- regardless of anything, resilience or grit, um, we're still not spilling the, those those cups. Um, <laughs> yeah, get your cap on it. There you go. <laughs> All right. And I, you know, I often talk to my my veterans about, you know, reminding them about how you know their knowledge as a sighted person has not changed. They still know what they know, and 
how they just need to find different ways of doing that and reminding them that they they did not learn everything in a day when they could see and they did not learn things um, or they they did have limitations as a sighted person. Now their limitations are just different, but, you know, they're going to adapt to those just the same way they did to their limitations, their other limitations that they had before they lost their vision. And, you know, they can still move on and and be a person because I, I see these these veterans, especially especially uh, my World War II veterans who are sadly almost gone, mm-hmm. who um, who come in, you know, they they're the kind of people that were like, you know, oh, my arm fell off this morning, but I, so I'm, I'm a few minutes late for class. Sorry. But struggle with, you know, learning to, to use a phone. And, and so just reminding them of what, what they, what they still have things they haven't lost and, and how they can transfer that same resiliency and toughness and grit to what they have to learn now. That's so important to do especially people who do lose the vision later on later uh, yeah. is is to really remind them of that that they're still pers- that they're still people but they do need to adapt Christine and Brayden I actually work at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind I'm the alienated Canadian over here we need to get more Canadians on the show we just work, you work on that <laughs> you're okay, the only I Canadian I, I know this. you up there I mean <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah it is I do we're in see- Canada are you from? I'm from Calgary, Alberta. Okay. Yeah. So kind of West Coast-ish. <laughs> Ish. Ish. Yeah. yeah. Not quite to the um, coast. Not right on the coast, but close enough. But yeah, I do see people every day who, you know, have who have lost that hope, you know? And it's, you know, you gotta you gotta take it one day at a time and adapt. But uh right. Thank you guys very much for coming on to the show today. Um, I don't really have any questions. You guys were very thorough and detailed. And um, I've actually been looking into doing some first aid stuff here because I actually want to get involved in the health and safety team at work. And so this has given me a little bit of insight. It's kind of inspired me, I guess, to uh, go forth and conquer Whatever we're really hoping <laughs> to expand. You know, we we wanted to start locally and then go nationally and then potentially, you know, expand out and demonstrate to other emergency response teams, to the International Red Cross, to individuals who assist with, you know, deployment to different places, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, in North America or beyond, um, that you could have people with disabilities assist on on whatever capacity that might be, whether it's communications, whether it's direction, whether it's actually hands-on, whether it's providing consultation um, for addressing people with specific needs, whether urban uh, urban versus rural, um, geriatric patients, geriatric people, young adults with disabilities, people who are neurodivergent, people who have specific medical conditions that require certain types of devices that may be impacted by power outages, Mm -hmm. uh, people with service animals and, and guides, you know, so there's, there's a ton of involvement possibilities for people um, with disabilities to be involved in emergency readiness and disaster response and preparedness. Absolutely. Well, I would also like to thank y'all for, for being such good advocates. And, and this is something I struggle with is saying, Oh, this is not accessible. (laughs) Let me call these people up. I often feel like I need to, you know, when I'm saying here's a problem, I need to present a solution and I don't always know how to do that. And so exactly it kind of stonewalls me into not doing anything. So I really appreciate your willingness to, to jump in there and say, here's, here's, I'm going to contact this person and tell them what needs to be done. And I'm going to keep bugging them till it gets done. Well, Well, that's what we suggested to the Red Cross. We said, listen, if you need to fix this, we're willing to beta test. We're willing to mm-hmm. work with you as you try to fix these things so that we can tell you at the time that you're working on this, thank you for the effort, but this is still not working. And this is why, 
So we may not be able to, although Braden is working on learning, you know, more of the tools Mm -hmm. and the, the ins and outs, but even if, you know, they had us working on something, you know, and saying, okay, this is what you should be able to do. Can you do this? And if you can do this, is it easy? Is it straightforward? Is it streamlined? Or is it, do you have to figure out a workaround? Does it take extra time? Is it causing you a problem? Before you roll out anything, before you say, you know, I think we fixed it. Find out if you fixed it. Get a group of people together, not just internally, but externally to test what you're doing. Well, and also from the point of view of, of advocacy, I think, um, really just as important corollary to that is to not only, you know, be advocates ourselves for making sure that these, you know, tools and websites are accessible and, and making sure that instructors are knowledgeable about, because, you know, the reality of it is, even when it comes to blindness, but in particular, when it comes to other disabilities, we can't possibly by ourselves provide some sort of flawless comprehensive overview for anyone right. who's going to teach one of these courses and so something that that's equally uh crucial is for us to be willing to say hey not only are we willing to help uh the red cross as an institution be more accessible not only are we willing to advise other instructors on how best to meet the needs of their of their disabled students but we're also willing to have that conversation at the level of the students too to be able to say okay uh, you know, maybe we talked to your instructor, maybe we didn't, but if just in case it didn't come across, here's how you can talk to them and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of talk through, okay, what are your needs and how can you uh, express those in such a way that you can, you can have them met in a way that is, you know, not only minimally disruptive to the class, but that, that may actually um, help, help the, the overall uh, class dynamic and, it, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, result in, in something that teaches everybody what they need to know by the end of the experience. Yeah, that's great. George, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into this as well, because you are also one of those people that, that's like, Hey, I'll go talk to that person. (laughs) And I, I admire that. And it's something I need to get better at. Well, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always one that if you don't talk, you don't know what's going to happen. And I've I've not always done that, but I've learned as I've gotten older that that works best. Yeah. I'm I'm working on it. Yeah. But that's something to make things change. If you actually go out there, just like, Hey, do you can you know about this <laughs> and yeah. can I help you get better at this or can you help me? You know, it's, it's, it's reciprocal. Yeah. You, um, and I, I've said this many times. If you, you put me in front of a crowd and say, talk about this, I'll get up and do it without hesitation. You tell me to go talk to that individual. I'm going to be like, I don't want to, <laughs> don't make me please <laughs> because you know, they're going to talk back and, and I have to respond and, so I, that is something I've always struggled with, but I'm working on it. Good. As long as you're working on it. I'm working ditto. On. Ditto, yeah. Leslie. <laughs> well, with that, I think we're going to wrap things up for today. Thank you both once again uh, so well, thank much. Thank you for having us. Um, thank you, Thank you, guys. you so much for inviting us. And I'm hoping that somebody out there who's interested in this will will reach out to us. I'm, I'm imagining you'll put on your... I don't know if you do like notes on, I, on yeah, the I podcast do show notes, or whatever. So I've, I've um, written stuff, all the the things you've mentioned, I've written down. And so, yes, we'll okay. And, you know, you, they can reach out to our, our email addresses. And also, if anybody's interested in sponsoring some classes for people <laughs> yes. with disabilities, that would be excellent. And we can work with Martin on getting that together and um, getting a group together. We will travel anywhere in the country to do this. Or as long as the funding is out, yeah, we will. Yeah, we will travel wherever. If there's a group of people who wants to learn this and you know wants that hands-on experience and people with disabilities, just reach out to us and let us know. And if we can get, or if you can provide people with funding, we will do it. And we do have that frequently asked uh, questions document on the Accessible Pharmacies uh, Blind Health Expo that can be accessed online. Uh, and I can I send it to you guys in the too. podcast. Yeah, that would be great. So, Christine, I have your I have your email address. Um, is that the one you would like me to post? Yes, the cfgrassminute.com. Okay. That's the one, and I will get that. Or, Braden, if you have it on hand, you know we could send the uh, the document to you that we have up on the Blind Health Expo okay. website. Yeah, we can. We can uh, I'm sure there's a way to. I'm not sure how that works, but I'm sure there's a way we can link 
uh, to those. So we will definitely get all that information in the show notes. And thanks for having us. This was contact you. I am I'm going to be sending this out to people I know in the in the world of accessibility and and going, hey, y'all listen to this and and jump in if you can see what you can do. So, yeah, and Chris, I'll be reaching out to you. It's more information from you soon. Yeah, um, I'll I'll send you her email address. Okay. Get awesome. y'all in touch. Yeah, thanks, guys. This has been amazing. Thank you for providing uh, thank this you. opportunity. So uh, to find, we will, like I said, get that information in our show notes um, to contact Christine and Braden, and you can find us on the web www.handsonsafety.net you can find us on facebook um, by searching for hands on safety podcast and you can find us on twitter at hands underscore safety and uh, please 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 as always we love your feedback send us feedback to feedback at handsonsafety.net if you would like more information if you would like to suggest future shows um, or just tell us how we did we always love hearing from people. Thank you very much, guys. And uh, thank you. Thank Have you. a good one. Thank you. Have a, Have a great day. Year.